Hi everyone, welcome to How to Live, a podcast that explores ways to live a good life. I'm your host Sharad Lal. This is episode 5. Before we get going, I have some very happy news to share with all of you. Sarah and I have been blessed with a baby girl, Ava Rose. Both Sarah and Ava are doing well. We're all at home. Gia met her younger sister Ava with open arms. We are so happy as a family. Thought I'll share this beautiful news with everyone. Now back to today's episode. I am very excited about today's episode. We have our first guest Ruchira. We talk about how to thrive in this rapidly changing work environment. People who reach out to us for coaching keep asking, "How do I thrive in my career? How do I excel at work?" reinvent myself in this changing landscape be able to lead coach others and ultimately make an impact whether you work for yourself or in the corporate world ruchira is the perfect person to seek guidance she straddles the corporate academic and entrepreneurial worlds ruchira is an executive coach adjunct faculty at several top tier business schools these include chicago booth and london business school and she runs a boutique consulting firm She's worked across Asia, Middle East and North Africa. Ruchira writes regularly for business journals like the Harvard Business Review. Her recent book Coaching: The Secret Code to Uncommon Leadership has gotten global recognition with leaders like Sheryl Sandberg endorsing her work. This book is rated 4.7 out of 5 on Amazon. I really enjoyed reading it. I like how Ruchira tells stories, brings in theories, talks to experts, and puts all this together in an easily digestible form. I highly recommend this book. In today's interview, we talked about many interesting topics. We discussed the future of work and what it takes to succeed. In the gig economy, these are folks leaving their 9 to 5 to fly solo, in the corporate world and the entrepreneurial world. We look at coaching and how it can help in the workspace as well as personal life. There are a host of other topics we touch upon. Why do top performers struggle in becoming great leaders? Listening versus giving advice. How to be self-aware by regularly seeking feedback. Practical ways to build confidence. How to network authentically and how to ask. Details of this interview, Ruchira's book and all other resources we talk about will be in the show notes at howtolive.life. Howtolive.life also hosts all other episodes of this podcast. If you like what you hear, please do support us by subscribing back to the show thank you shara this was an absolute delight reconnecting with an old friend and being able to have this conversation with you thank you ruchira let's start with something exciting and relevant in today's world the world is changing there's the great resignation people leaving their jobs all over the world the gig economy is taking over where folks are not necessarily working 9 to 5 with these new changes happening in the workspace what excites you the most and what are your thoughts about the future of work honestly i don't know where to begin myself as you rightly said there's just so much going on in the world around us that's also opened us our mind to so many new possibilities gig economy i think it's think about it as a simpler term for doing freelance work working temporarily as opposed to being employed full time or having that 9 to 5 job and now for a lot of us this is a future of work and in so many ways the pandemic has amplified that right as we go back to work as the future of work is work from home but also hybrid leaders and managers have to think harder about how they include more people into the workspace but organizations are also under pressure so they're also 
happier to work out a system where they bring in specialist skills for short bursts of times i.e gig workers knowledge workers they come in for specific projects they add a lot of value and then they go on and again a lot of people as you said with great resignation are doing it also because of their own lifestyle connotations because they feel that they're burnt out or they could do so much more with their lives so i think for a variety of these reasons the world as we know it is changing dramatically and all in good ways i'd say absolutely so richard does this mean folks who have been working 9 to 5 permanent jobs are now quitting and saying hey we're going to take on projects so maybe 6 months in a year we take on a project we earn some money and then we take some time off and then go back to the next project is that what this whole gig economy means for corporate people people yeah. who get into the gig economy the freelance space do it for several reasons in the first well scenario mostly it was because there were no there weren't that many options when you got laid off or an organization restructured you found that as a stopgap arrangement now people do it by right. choice right yes there are those that because of all these pressures especially during the pandemic have lost jobs but there's a large section that is voluntarily opting to do that right because right. they can they have those choices and organizations are also a lot more open to hiring people that come in for short bursts of time as opposed to this sort of stigma that you're a temporary worker and you won't get all the benefits or you won't be accorded the same status as others who are your vintage so that phenomena is changing the mindset is changing as well now in this environment for an individual let's say they choose to become a freelancer or set up a small business what are the key skills needed given this future of work to succeed let me tell you my story i have always worked in the corporate sector and i basically flitted between being an advisor inside and sometimes on the outside a consultant hard nose boring strategy consultant all of those connotations and, right. and in my case when i became this gig worker i didn't even know it was called that in my, it was just it didn't it just didn't happen by design it was just that we moved countries i was living in the middle east my husband got this role in singapore and i complained as i always do that he's messed up my life but the organization in qatar said they would want me back we were doing a large uh, mna exercise and they said hey we'd like you back so it was a very interesting arrangement i'd never come across this so i had to set up my own company and since i lived in singapore that's rather easy every week i would travel to this place in qatar and they'd done a large acquisition in which had entities in many different islamic countries right everything from algeria tunisia kuwait etc so it was a fun time but it also was once that assignment ended it was all very nice while i was doing that assignment i felt like a part of the family i'd already worked with them but when the assignment ended and i was back in singapore i realized that for me the structure was such an important part of who i was my corporate job was what defined me as a person i was a not capable of even sticking to a schedule because i didn't have to report into anybody i was my own boss and i found it very isolating so i think at times like this to me the one thing that's helped me go past this feeling of occasional depression was that i looked upon for good advice i looked upon for good coaching from ex clients ex bosses people who were there in the ecosystem and they helped me navigate it. gig economy sounds great being a gig worker is great you can wake up whenever you want in the morning and it sounds lovely but it has its challenges right and you have to keep yourself motivated and intellectually always up the curve Thank you for sharing that so interesting and I'm picturing you isolated no one to talk to around and leaning on people for coaching I'm curious was it like just things to improve your domain expertise or knowledge or was it also emotional support what kind of coaching did you seek out at that time that helped you I think 
think both. One, of course, is if you're part of an organization, a lot of the things, we might complain about it, but you do go for training, you do go for development, colleagues every day, there's banter, right? You learn from each other. When you start working for yourself, the only stimulation you get or the banter you get is from the client organizations. And sometimes there are periods that you have no work. We have to be prepared for that as well. So there is no sense of permanency. You have to keep yourself motivated. You have to develop yourself. So yes, it can be emotionally rather isolating, which is why as someone who writes about the gig economy, I constantly tell people, please have an ecosystem. Please do some peer-to-peer coaching. Find other people like yourself. Be in touch with other freelancers. Be aware of what's going on in your world. It'll make you a better version of yourself. That's so interesting. So it's like you get away from an organized system, but at the same time, that organized system gives you something. It gives you a community. So you need to create your own community, whatever version that is, to bounce off ideas, to learn from others, as well as, like you said, the banter. Yeah. So Because that's what keeps you healthy and keeps you going. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, if you look at the research, uh, there's... Very interesting research by Professor Benjamin Bloom, University of Chicago. He says, if you look at some of the most gifted uh, players today, whether they're tennis players or even a pianist or an athlete or even mathematicians, right? They were not fabulous or truly gifted to begin with. They could be above average. They were good, but they were not fabulous. What made each one of them become the stars that they are today is because they all had coaching. They had nurturing. They had teachers, And I think that's a fundamental aspect of our lives. We all need people that will enable us, will help us go higher, help us shine brighter. And we need to surround ourselves with such people. What types of coaches do we need and how how do we go about getting them? The conventional route is hiring a coach, right? People like us. And I'm not saying this because all of us will be without a living. But I must say this, that not everybody needs to go out and hire one. If you can, by all means, it's great to have this non- a judgmental sounding board. But I've noticed with a lot of entrepreneurs that I'm working with, these are early stage entrepreneurs, right? You're just setting up. And let's say coaching can be expensive. So you have to look in your own ecosystem and say, hey, yes, there will be a time when I can hire that coach and fabulous. But here and now, who can I pick? Who can be that individual who can really help me think through all the possibilities? Who can help me understand where I'm faltering and where I'm succeeding. And so I look for a few things. Listening is a huge attribute and I think very underrated. So good coaches by definition are good listeners. They will let you talk and not uh, listen to the sound of their own voice. I used to do that, by the way. So I've learned my lesson. The other thing they do very well is they contain the urge to offer solutions. And I say that because whether it's school or college or business school, we have always been taught that the, those that shine the brightest are those that have all the answers. And we are very quick to give answers and it defines us. We always want to raise our hand in class when we know the answer when the teacher's talking. And even as managers, it's not malintent sometimes. We think we want to help people. So when someone comes to us with an issue, we, we want to quickly solve it for them. Now, if you're looking for coaching, that's not the kind of individual. A coach doesn't give you the solution. It's not advising you. It's helping you find your own path. And yes, coaches are those people who let you be yourself. They help you create safe spaces. So you can think, you can create, you can innovate without fear of any kind of judgment or being penalized or being laughed at. That, oh, this was some, this was a silly question. Find a coach, a someone who has your best interests at heart and, and truly believes in you. 
Thank you, Richard. I think that's extremely helpful, especially for folks who've just started out. And, and like you've pointed out, coaching is even more useful because there's no organization helping you. I think this is going to help them. Now, for these guys who are, again, in the gig economy, and they're looking at coaching as a skill, mm-hmm. what skills or attributes of coaching can come into play and help them do better as a leader in the gig economy? Whether it's a gig economy or otherwise, think of coaching as a life skill. Right? Coaching doesn't have to be with somebody who's in the corporate world, who has people reporting into them, large teams, small teams, doesn't really matter. If you start viewing coaching as a life skill, the act of enabling and taking people along, the act of helping people go higher. Remember, when you make people go higher, you soar even higher. That's just the whole premise of coaching. You also become better than what you are today because you're taking somebody along. So, How should you embark on the journey? I would just say really focus on your own self-awareness. And to do that, reflect despite all the madness around us. Think, reflect. Sometimes when you think your decisions could do with a second opinion, then ask for it. You're hiring somebody, you're not sure. We sometimes do things without consciously realizing that there could be a bias. At all times like this. Can you seek a second opinion, for instance? And the other thing I encourage everybody, go seek feedback about yourself. You can select those that you trust, right? They could be from your work. They could be friends. They could be your partners. But specifically ask them, what do you think I'm doing right and I should continue to do more of? What do you think I could do much better? And what do you think I should just stop doing? If you're not awkward about this, and if you can do this every six months or a year, you will realize You will get so much interesting feedback about yourself. It'll help you become a more self-aware leader. Genuinely make an attempt to form relationships with people. When you coach somebody, know about them. Know about their lives. It doesn't matter if he's your CFO or this person does marketing or in my wellness center, this person is a yoga instructor. How much do you know about their lives outside of work? If you want to take them along in the journey, if you want to make them better than they are today, they have to trust you. And for that, they need to believe that you care for them genuinely. I was also very interested in the second point you mentioned about self-awareness and seeking feedback on a regular basis for yourself to get a better idea of who you are, what your powerful skills are, what your gifts are. What are some ways to do this? Because if I just go and ask a person it could be a little awkward. They may or may not say it to me. Is there uh, an easy way to do this so that I can regularly keep getting feedback on, on myself? My advice is, prescriptive in this case, not coaching advice, <laughs> is that build an ecosystem where coaching comes naturally to everybody. So if you start asking people, hey, how did this go in the middle of a presentation? You can laugh it off. When you make this the norm, When you make this part of how things are done around here, coaching, seeking feedback, giving feedback will come naturally to everybody. It won't happen overnight. But as a leader, you have to set the tone. You have to build that culture. Don't think of coaching as this event that takes place. Once a quarter, once, I don't know, six months, which a lot of organizations do. And some of them completely confuse it with performance appraisal. That's not coaching. Coaching happens all the time in the moment. When you bump into somebody in a corridor, right? I'm sure we'll go back to the normal world where we will bump into people in the corridor. We will, yes. Yeah, we'll, then you chat with somebody at the water cooler and find out how their day was. Or you simply say, hey, fabulous presentation. I, you could have done this slightly differently. And even now, right, when you're over a Zoom call 
and you know that somebody is not really participating in a conversation maybe you can you know very discreetly send a whatsapp message saying hey is everything okay you want to chat it's little things you do that's also coaching coaching is also about giving people uh, more exposure giving them bigger projects to do let's say connecting them to your boss's boss and giving them a visibility all of that is coaching don't think of it as an isolated conversation that takes place once in a quarter in a structured environment so think about everything you do and say that takes people along as coaching understand very clear i have a related point where you talk in your book about high performers mm-hmm. guys who are gunning it in their career really good at their work strategic doing extremely well but not necessarily good coaches and then this then catches up with them and stunts their growth yep why does this happen to really solid high performers no oh, it's an excellent one and i it took me a while to do this research and decode it because if you look at a lot of the annals of history and the research that i've quoted you can look at sport you can look at business you can look at many genres and you realize sometimes your best performer right the best and the brightest the person who you think is the be- blue eyed boy or girl often doesn't become the best leader is not the best captain of a team and that happens for a few reasons one is we sometimes make these people larger than life because they're so good at what they do they're so good at their craft if you're in cricket and you're scoring the maximum runs we we idolize i i we completely adore these people we idolize them and say oh they're fabulous they're so good and uh, that we forgive everything if we forgive all their mistakes we give them inordinate am- amounts of power and resources now what happens as a result of that is this individual thinks that he or she is larger than life and has a highest sense of entitlement do remember leadership is not about entitlement leadership requires some different kinds of traits it doesn't require that ambition and narcissism and that passion alone it also requires you to take people with you and empathy collaboration those get completely missed out in this equation because leadership is a responsibility not entitlement and remember because we think they're so good we just assume they will automatically morph into fabulous leaders but they also be they also need to be nurtured they also be nurtured and coached so they can in turn coach others and build that next line of leaders so we don't really focus on doing that and just assume that they will solve all our life's problems that's one and i guess there are some other smaller i won't say smaller but there are other reasons as well sometimes you see fabulous sportsmen you like i've in the book i've talked about sachin tendulkar right yes greatest cricketer the world has ever seen and i think that probably is true but if you also look at his captaincy it's probably the darkest days in his otherwise completely stellar career and his reasons are slightly different in his case it's not this entitlement or he is a fabulous performer who's just focused on his craft now when you that good you do things in, and you can't understand the capability gap between where you are and where somebody else is and you start benchmarking them with your own expectations with your with your own own standards so if someone's not performing as well as you are you really don't know what to do about it and you don't know how to coach them and build them and frankly many of these star performers don't want to take on leadership roles we decide that just because they're fabulous we should make them captains of the team so we have to start thinking if somebody is showing potential and promise a are they interested in leadership and b we now need to coach them and nurture them so they in turn can coach and nurture others 
I think those are two very cool points where you say that you put them on a pedestal because of which the growth mindset or the learning kind of reduces. And the second, they normally, they have this yardstick where they feel everyone's extraordinary. So they cannot recognize people slightly below extraordinary and are not the right people to coach them. So if some people in the world, in the corporate world, or even running their own businesses, find themselves as these exceptional performers, how should they, what should they do to incorporate coaching skills, which can really help them take their leadership to the next level? They could hire me, but no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's that's a good expensive option. Yeah, it's expensive option. Yeah, no, no, I'm not that expensive. Anyway, but no, I think uh, as we said earlier, if we see potential in people and we see promise in them, then we truly do need to focus on building them as leaders, which means nurturing them and coaching them. As I was giving you that example earlier, the best pianist, a tennis player, mathematician, all of them need coaching and nurturing so they in turn can coach and nurture others. But we also need to ensure that we help them imbibe some key traits of leadership if they don't already have them, which is as a leader coach, you have to wear many hats. You have to suspend that judgment when you're coaching somebody because you on the one hand, you have to appraise them, you have to decide their future, but you also have to be the one to encourage them and motivate them. So you should have the ability to not let little irritants come in the way when you're coaching somebody. I'll give you an example, right? So consulting days and you and I went to the same consulting firm, so I will not take names. I have this, I remember this really super organized boss, like completely would go by the book and would be perfectly dressed, etc. But I also remember somebody in our team who was rather scattered, very good consultant, but very scattered would forget which time, what time of the day it was, when the meeting was, always running late. So <laughs> now, in pure performance terms, she was doing really well, by the way. The clients liked her. She had the kind of clients that she'd had for years. They were very happy with her. So there was no complaints on that front. But the boss would get super irritated because his very proper self could not imagine how someone could be five minutes late for a meeting or how your desk was always so untidy or why you always have so many papers. And that sometimes creeps into your coaching because you form judgment. So you're already biased about that person because you feel that he or she does not fit into your mold of what is. Those are the kind of things we have to consciously inculcate in people. We have to encourage them to build reservoirs of trust. You use the word growth mindset, right? The belief that everybody can change and grow. Sometimes we say, I don't think this person is capable of it, right? I have this new person. Frankly, I've tried so hard, but this person's just not getting it, right? And after a point, you really don't want to take it to the next level. But rarely will you think that maybe it's me or maybe it's the environment or maybe this person could shine somewhere else. That's coaching. And that's a growth mindset as well. So it's hard work, by the way. Leadership is hard and being a leader coach is even harder. (laughs) It's a lot of work. No wonder lots of people say, I'm just a great batsman. (laughs) I don't want to do any captaincy and motivating. That's not my thing. Maybe there's merit in that to know that, you know what, that's not my thing. I just focus on my game and that's all I do. Or I just focus at work on building more business or something like that. And that's the way it should be, Sharad. The thing is, because of all the societal norms and all this pressure that we have, we think of growth as being vertical. We think the only way we grow is by our titles and the size of our teams. And it's our conditioning. And even organizations don't know how to do it differently. They can't keep paying you more money by without giving you those promotions and promotions being more people. Yeah. yeah. 
And so we have to change that mindset whereby we have to think of career paths for people who can be great at what they do. They can be what they say, amazing solo performers, but they don't have to be the captains of the ship. Have you seen any new age organizations just incorporating that? You don't necessarily need to go up and become like a CXO, but you could be earning high, doing really well as an engineer itself or, or something like that. Have you seen yeah, that? In it's changing. The world's changing. Some uh, industries can do it a lot more easily and some are awful at it. Like investment bank- banking cannot. <laughs> they just are the worst. In fact, I have interviews in the book you might have read and they've said it themselves. We are the worst of the pack. We don't know what to do. The industries uh, that are have been a little more successful to some extent is consulting. Again, needs a not more mindset change, but they start giving people specialist paths. So you could be a domain, you could be the, the, a domain expert in, let's say, everything there is to know about oil and gas or shipping. And you don't need to have teams. We're just bringing you in as an expert. The other industry that does it actually quite well, not all organizations, but industry as a whole, is IT. IT also has super specialists. So they give them parallel career paths. And Satya Nadella has done it really well with Microsoft. In fact, when he came into Microsoft, it was completely broken and toxic and a complete mess. And he spent the first year and a half just listening to people and understanding how he could fix that completely broken organization. Siloed, toxic, everybody was pitted against each other. And they came up with an interesting framework where they really rejigged and recalibrated everything, in how people were paid, how they were promoted. They put in place a, a framework, an excellence framework, where every person, regardless of the size of their teams or not, is expected to be a role model, is expected to coach others, and is expected to be caring for others. And we can already see how well Microsoft has done under Satya Nadella. And I know even in your book, you seem to be a huge fan. There's a lot of Satya Nadella. I'm a bit biased. Yeah, I wouldn't lie. He's my senior <laughs> from business school. So... <laughs> Oh, seriously? Yeah, yeah. You've met him? Once, You've like once long back. But like senior meaning not a few wow. years, but but he's on the board. Many years, but still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so you know, they, he gets invited for all these high profile events. So it was a natural one for me. And the other person I'm biased towards is Cheryl Sandberg, but that's yes. for the right reasons. Yes. She is again a truly uncommon leader who's who constantly supports other women and she sets she does it by leads by example. When she says lean in, she does that herself and she will encourage you to do the same. So I don't know of any leader at her level who responds to my emails in the next half an hour. She's always so prompt and I don't know how. Can you repeat that? I found that you'd mentioned that to me earlier as well. You met Cheryl maybe once. I think you mentioned that you've done a workshop. She remembers that. And after that, when you send a mail to her, you get a reply in 30 minutes. I have actually (laughs) not met her except on the screen. But when I first moved to India after being away in Singapore all those years, I did a workshop or rather I moderated an event for the University of Chicago and Lean In. And we had lots of high profile CEOs and really nice event, end of event, get a lovely email from her saying, thank you for your contribution. As you do, and you feel very good about it. When the book was coming out, I was thinking of all the people who I thought were uncommon leaders. And I would love to have either endorse the book or read it at least, give me feedback. So I wrote to many people. Let's say some of them responded. Not everybody agreed. Some did, uh, and some were fabulous. But in her case, what really stood out was how accessible she was. I wrote to her, introduced myself, explained our connection. And the same evening, this is uh, PM India time, I get this email from her. I nearly fell off the bed <laughs> where she wow. apologized profusely, but said, I can't write a foreword because she was very busy. I think she was getting engaged at that time. She was very candid. She said, there's so much going on in my life right now. I'd love to help you, but I can't. 
And I said, oh, this is my chance. So I wrote back to her and I said, <laughs> okay, don't write the foreword, but maybe just a blurb, like two lines saying the book is that you like the book. So she sends me back a smiley immediately said, you do realize that in order to do that, I still need to read your entire book. And she did, <laughs> by the way. And she gave me that blurb and we stay in constant touch. And every time the book, you know, does well in a geography, I write to her and she's very quick to respond. So I also work with her lean teams across the world to do my, my bit in terms of uh, how I can help them become more capable and shine brighter. So all of that apart, I think she truly is an uncommon leader who uh, is a role model and walks the talk. That's really great to hear. We'll change gears. Are there elements of coaching that we can use in our daily life? Yeah, absolutely. Let's move out of the corporate context. You could be someone who teaches part-time. Like again, I, I teach at some business schools. You could be a yoga instructor. You could be a Pilates instructor. You could run a wellness center. So you could be anybody, let's put it like that, who doesn't have a nine to five or a permanent job. And you thrive on the fact that you have the ability to work with different types of organizations. And it's really about your craft and you really enjoy what you do, but you also get experience in varied organizations. Now, you would argue, how can I coach them? Because I'm at the periphery of the organization. You can coach them to be better than they are. And together you can achieve those outcomes. And let me explain that. Remember when you get hired as an expert, people bring you in because they know you bring in some valuable skills and expertise. But at the same time, you need to work with them. And so if you tell them what to do all the time, they may or may not be as receptive. But if you're asking them powerful questions and saying, if you want to know more about them, their lives, their context, their business context, that's coaching too, right? And if you, especially if you're, you're working with a large team, you're designing graphics, let's say for a firm, you really want to understand the business context. You give people that importance. You form genuine bonds with them. You ask them powerful questions. That's coaching too. And when you coach them, together you shine bright. Richard, what are powerful questions, if you can give some examples? Powerful questions are those that are open-ended in this case. So any question that you ask, which results in a yes or no, is not a coaching question. You need to trigger somebody's thinking. So Sharad, was that a good podcast? We'll say yes or no. What do you think of the podcast? How do you think we can do it better next time? So these questions have to result in the individual really thinking. And in the process of that thinking, they come up with their own idea of what good looks like. So I guess when you're not asking powerful questions, you're going for a binary answer where there's already judgment in your question. So this is leaving it open, letting people explore so that they can get a better understanding of themselves. And then that leads to a better outcome. Yeah, they call it the Socrates way of asking questions, mm. where it's like sometimes, and, and I think you use the word judgment. I was just <laughs> saying open-ended. So I was writing an article for the HBR that wasn't really about coaching, but we weaved in some elements. And the article actually interestingly got a lot of great reception was what to do as a boss or a manager when someone in your team doesn't like you. And I think it resonated with a lot of people because let's face it, yeah, not everybody can love you or like you. And whether it's your teams or at your workplace, we have challenges with people. And so it goes back to that self-reflection mode. You have to think about, is it the individual or could it be something you said? It could be you as a person. And so we give examples of these kind of questions where we say, 
having a when you have a conversation perhaps change your tone and style rather than saying so what's the issue with this client to asking how is it going with the client have you messed it up again as opposed to saying <laughs> as opposed to saying how is it going do you need any help with the client so it's mm. and they may not be fabulous examples but it just is a way of thinking and the way of structuring these questions that will elicit different kinds of responses so if i understand the article there's a huge reason around language and tone yes which can put people in the defensive absolutely yeah, and listen very underrated quality listen. listen not to respond listen to assimilate and to understand from a place of curiosity yeah. so to understand sometimes we use mm-hmm. that in conflict management also we are listening but we are listening so that we can quickly form the next scolding on and give it back to them <laughs> we often don't listen to really assimilate what the person is saying and then come up with our response ruchira you've done so much in your career i've seen your journey from afar where you started out in consulting in india you worked in the middle east you worked in a, a company that hired consultants you went to the academic space you've become a coach you worked in singapore you've reinvented yourself every 3 to 4 years is there a secret is there a way in which one reinvents oneself is there some learning there that you can share with everyone <laughs> i don't know maybe it's just luck <laughs> no uh, jokes apart i think one i would say that open your mind to the possibilities so often we very quick to say this is not going to work out right when you open your mind to not just the possibilities but when you look into the horizon when you don't think short term then you will be a lot more open to assessing the different opportunities when they come your way and you may realize right. that hey this could really work out for me and and sometimes go with the flow i think that helps and it's not to say that through this journey there were not bumps and it's not as if you didn't fall down but you also have to know when to pick yourself again resilience is a very important part of it rejection resilience and overcoming that is something i would encourage everybody to you know take in your stride because eventually it comes together you have to believe that you have to believe in yourself and you have to surge ahead when when i talk to you confidence and even in this conversation this whole thing of believing in yourself and confidence especially when you're isolated is a huge theme that comes in and i know you talked about it earlier but what are the ways in which we can build confidence is there an a science to it does it just happen how does that happen okay i don't know about the science but let's give you an example that you'll relate to yeah you can edit it later when i joined the consulting firm that you and i were both part of i was treated like an outsider it was a lot of people were very uncharitable towards me because i came from a very different world and the assumption was what would i know about the strategic aspects of consulting so these are not easy ones right when you realize that you are the outsider and you have to work so hard to prove yourself but it's times like this when you have to remind yourself what is it that you bring to the table but you also have to be good at what you do so in my case i discovered that you know not to get into too much detail but there were certain offerings within that organization that they lacked and i fo- focused on them i focused on them i focused on building my relationships with with clients i focused on building that ecosystem and in a matter of years i didn't need that validation from my peers to tell me how good or bad i was i knew i was doing okay i educated myself i made sure i understood what i was doing and so you have to work on yourself confidence doesn't just come that hey you can do it but you also have to have the capability and the competence to do it so do both 
make sure you're damn good at what you do like really good at what you do and keep updating your skill sets keep reading keep making sure you're connected to people who are thought leaders in that system so you have to do your bit and then make sure that there's nothing holding you back and that you don't necessarily need people to seek validation you find those coaches and you find those mentors mentors are those that give you advice right coaches are those that ask you questions build your own little board of advisors find people who believe in you who trust you friends family ex clients ex bosses anybody and keep them close to you and they will give you those they will give you that confidence to surge ahead they will constantly tell you that hey you have it in you and you need that so be good at what you do don't listen to those who are not great for your ego and then surround yourself with people who believe in you and encourage you i i like the thought of having people who are on your side who believe in you who who move you forward because as you go up in your career uh, whether you work in the corporate world or anywhere else it becomes more and more isolating so you need that more than anything else even in your book there are so many people who have contributed and who you've quoted and who've been part of it how have you kept these relationships and if you can give some pointers on how to do this it's an interesting question i never thought about it i use social media maybe not as effectively as a lot of people so yes uh, it is a lot easier now with the linkedins and the facebooks and the instagram so i do that but i the one sort of learning i have is that even if you're not in regular touch with somebody but these are people who've helped you across in the journey and make sure you update them every time you do something interesting in your life because it's very easy to lose touch you have somebody who recommended you for a job interview let's say 6 years ago and as you keep scaling new heights make sure you let the person know even if it doesn't elicit a huge response even if it doesn't mean you have long conversations but just let them know believe me these people will be happy for you and so if you can somehow keep that this this loop alive this feedback loop alive where you keep in touch with them you tell them and not long letters or anything just one mail saying thank you so much i've come this far as a coach when i get these uh, little sometimes i get a whatsapp message from somebody in shanghai who i coached many months ago and said hey i've managed i've now country head and it's all because of you sometimes it's just one a one line response but i know it makes me feel really good and i might just respond by saying hey i'm i'm so thrilled but that's it doesn't go anywhere but it keeps our bond alive so stay in touch with people keep them updated about your life believe it or not a lot more people will be interested in you than you think they are and do the same for those that come to you for mentorship and sponsorship i really like that and i am going to dig deeper if you don't mind so do you have database of people what's the system that you use actually okay, i'm very old school i write it down i have a sheet people that so i've grouped them in my head in terms of my all my past job countries that i've lived in in recent years professors that have taught me and they've taught me and some some of them are now my colleagues because i teach with them and let's face it the 4 5 6 maybe 10 if you're lucky people who really made an impact in your journey or your career you know who they are we just yeah. lose touch with them if you if you do that self reflection if you do it as an exercise and you really think back to your earliest days maybe do that as an exercise and think of all the people that you attribute your not your success today but who've been an integral part of your journey and um, you've learned something from them you'll remember them because clearly they added value of course you'll go back yeah remember alan parker sharad mm-hmm. i lost touch with him for the longest time but he was 
he defined who I was at my my earliest days and retired, etc. So I lost touch with him. But when the book came out, I found him. And I sent him an email. And he must be mighty proud. You say it right, because when you're senior, and even if you've lost that, somebody from 20 years before reaches out to you and say, hey, I've written a book. I've done this talk, which everyone's like. They're mighty proud yes. of the little role they played in, in, in you know, bringing you there. And remember, these emails or these whatever form of communication you choose, they're not transactional. You're not asking them for anything now. You're simply thanking them or at least keeping them updated about the part that they played in your life. I reached out to many of these people when I was applying for my mid-career MBA. So then I wrote to many of them and asked them if they were happy to be my you know, you need references. And so there were people like that. At different junctures in my life, I sought them out. And of course, when the book came about, it gave me a good opportunity to seek inputs from a lot of people. I genuinely considered uncommon leaders. I want to touch on the asking bit as well. For a lot of people who are doing things on their own, like you, you've created a book out of nowhere and you've put it out into the world. You've created a business out of nowhere and put it out into the world. For these kind of services, for people in the gig economy, asking is a very important thing. How do you do that? Do you have any learnings on that? Two types of asking, right? Let's go back to the basics. We've talked about a coach, someone who asks you powerful questions and helps you in your journey. There's a second kind. We didn't go too deep into it, but that's the term we use often, mentor. A mentor is somebody who, unlike a coach, is typically giving you advice. Older, that's not necessarily older, but someone who's been there and done it, has a lot of influence, can open many doors for you. right? And these people give you prescriptive advice. They tell you, this is what made me successful. And because they know you really well, they constantly give you that, I guess, advice and they tell you how you should go about it. And I think we need both types right, in the world. Now, there's a third type, which... Hopefully some of us have, but we don't use the term. It's called a sponsor, right? And a sponsor is someone who goes out on a limb to recommend you. So they don't just tell you what to do. So they don't just tell you, hey, Sharad, um, doing a podcast is a great idea. But this individual, if he or she has connections, can pick up the phone and connect you to some great organizations that actually host these platforms, right? So they go... The Open a door which was not available. To they you. go the extra mile. They recommend you. In fact, the best definition of a sponsor I read somewhere is someone who talks positively about you when you're not in the room. They're advocating for you. They're lobbying for you. They're making sure you, you get called in for the right interviews. They make sure that... So back to your question on asking, convert those mentors into sponsors. Don't be shy. Take the advice, but see if you can nudge them to go a little bit. <laughs> Walk a few more steps and actually be the one to help you with the next step. That's one. And the second, if we don't have a mentor or a coach like that, and you still want to seek support or help, my only advice is don't make it transactional. Be polite and seek guidance as opposed to asking directly. I think I'm fabulous. Sharad, will you please put me onto your podcast? No, I wouldn't do that. You could talk about having a conversation and sharing your views. And if the individual feels that you make the cut, he or she will put you there. But so find that fine balance between being transactional and being genuine and authentic. And believe me, when you are authentic, people open more doors for you. Understand. Even though this type of activity with multiple folks can take a lot of time, that is worth the time because those can open doors or do things which you yourself may not be able to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and don't be afraid to ask. Do it the right way. But do ask because you never know. When you, if you don't ask, you'll never get. 
that's what somebody told me once i once i, I wrote to him for a for a quote in the book i was very nervous because very senior leader and i said i'm sorry i'm taking so much of your time and he sent me one line he said if you don't ask you don't get very lovely. powerful that's lovely cool i think that's all i had is there anything else you think we should talk about which could be useful to people no i think it's been fabulous it's been the most thorough podcast i've had with anybody so <laughs> thank you thank you for that ruchira i hope you enjoyed this interview all resources will be available in the show notes at howtolive.life in the next episode i'm back to flying solo i talk about stoicism There's been a huge demand for this topic by so many of you so we've decided to have a full episode focused on this. Stoicism is a philosophy that sprung up in ancient Rome and is making a resurgence today. This episode will drop in the new year on Jan 4th. Hope you join me. That's it for today. Wish all of you a merry christmas and a happy new year. We'll talk to you again in 2022. Bye bye.